here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hello, world. Welcome aboard, all you ground troops spinning around smartly on the planet we call home. Earth, Gaia, Sophia, whatever you call it, it's where we are now. So be here now, and we are excited to have our Sunday go to meeting today. And we've invited some of our pastors of uh, the Ascension Cosmos Oracles nonprofit here in Florida to join us and enjoy the rest of our lives together as friends in cyberspace culture. Today is Ascension Cosmos Oracles. Ascension Church Ohana, love one another. Every Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, we share a paranormal authors, speakers, alien contactees, UFO secret space, cosmology, folklore, writers, developers, webmasters. We share ACIR Radio, Cosmos Radio, ACO Radio, and TJ Marcy. T Radio is our brands, and we are heard all over the world in many countries, or most all. If they want to tune in, or they can find it in podcasting wherever you listen to your podcast, including Spotify and Spreaker and Stitcher. And we are owned by iHeart now, one of the largest, so we're very proud to be with iHeart. Sundays are Sunday Go to Meeting, and Teresa Jerry Morris, that's me actually, uh, ministries, (laughs) have uh, formed a nonprofit, and we've asked pastors to come but i tried to get pastor ken today and i believe he he's up there uh going to be 79 this year and i imagine he's taking a nap but we're going to see if pastor richard and marcy cussage came on i see i think marcy came in on skype we'll see hi pastor rick is that you in georgia yes it is Well, I think we have uh, your friend Marcy. Let me see if this is Marcy to say hi, and then we'll just say hi. Hello, is this Marcy? Pastor Marcy? Someone else? Just listening. That's not Marcy? Okay, it might be somebody else. Okay, well, Richard, I guess you've got the floor with me and you. So, Richard, uh, just whatever you want to talk about today is Ascension Cosmos Oracles. Really, our sort of first day that we've got our nonprofit paper back uh, uh, as of June third, even though it took till June eighth. <laughs> but uh, I got my phone on June eighth, but I didn't get it turned on till yesterday in a tent. So uh, I'm going to try it out today. So let me know if you if I fade like on the other. Uh, what have we? Oh, MediaCom, and they fade because so many people are on my cable company. So. Richard, uh, this is, the, like you were telling me, the direct line, and so now hopefully we'll have better communications going through New York. Richard, what would you like to talk about? It's all about whatever it's going to be with us. Uh, we will be the foundation, and we're combining our Ascension Cosmos articles to include our Ascension Church Ohana on Sundays. And love one another is the theme for today. And, folks, we'll try to give you a theme because we cover so much spiritual, paranormal, off the wall, out of the planet, outside the universe type topics. So, Richard, anything burning your soul or your heart or your mind or 
Want to get off your chest? <laughs> well, I think that love is the key right now, you know? Love is the highest vibration that we can vibrate at, so, you know, it's it's a very key element at this point in time. Um, and, I mean, you know, love resolves all chaos. Love brings about peace. Peace, of course, stomps out war and conflict, crises and all that kind of thing. And I think uh, that we've had a, a major learning curve over the last year in regards to receptivity to one another. Of course, a lot of us were isolated at first, you know, and we turned to the Internet and made friends through cyberspace or reached out to other people through cyberspace. And then in turn, you know, um, we have compounded things now. We're coming back out of uh, the separateness into being whole once again as far as being able to communicate uh, verbally in person and, you know, actually share events and share different things uh, the way that it was uh, over a year ago now. Um, but it's slowly developing, of course. Uh, but love is, is the key to everything, really, when you think about it. I mean, you know, it begins with the love of the self, and then in turn you reflect the love of yourself outwardly to others. And then it leads to all kinds of love and joy and happiness, uh, shared experiences that bring about uh, a great deal of happiness in, in a lot of respects. Uh, heck, you can make another person happy just by smiling at them. Anything to go on, TJ? Oh, that was awful nice. Uh, yeah, Love One Another. That was the name of my CD with my husband, my beloved, when he was alive on planet Earth. He's one of these uh, characters in our game of life that did 20 and back in the program that we call the UFO Secret Space, 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 Space. <laughs> But uh, his father and grandfather, he had a long line of pastors, interestingly enough, and uh, their family loved, but it was quite a different love, and I'd like to talk about that, because Richard, when I was growing up, my mother, her mother, and her mother, I never saw them hug once, and it was during the Hitler days. And they were loving people. But can you imagine being a child and never seeing all the women as much as they relied on each other? And you know they loved each other. And they would say love and call each other sugar and honey, you know, in Monroe, Louisiana. But uh, my mother uh, was born in Clarks, Louisiana. And my father was born in Monroe, Louisiana. And they met at West Monroe High School. No, Monroe High School. Oh, uh, not high school. What it was called, Washita Parish High School along the Washita River, and they fell in love after high school and going to each uh, had a job going to college. So they would go skating, and my dad bought my mother a pair of white skates, and that was the sweetest, nicest thing during those times. You know, it was really hard. So uh, she married him. <laughs> I was like, why did she marry Dad? He bought me a pair of roller skates. Oh, yeah, that explains it. So <laughs> I know that was a sign of love to her in that time. And, of course, I was born 1226, the day after Christmas. So uh, there's various types of love one another, folks. It's not all hunky-dory hugs and kisses, smooch, smooch, 
like in the television shows we see. And that's just being real honest. And there, a lot of the churches aren't all the same churches either. And Richard and I would like to offer that we have gotten together online as a cyberspace culture church on the Internet. We are an Internet church. There's many of them. I can go to uh, Liberty Church here, and it's so crowded. Now they've gotten so popular because they also cast on their network or through their equipment. And Richard and I don't have that right now. (laughs) Maybe in the future, if people decide they really love us this much, that we can, uh, you can like our voices as a male and female. And it's up to you to figure out which is which. (laughs) But in the old days, (laughs) well, okay, I'll let you speak then. In the old days, Richard, if you want to talk about when your parents fell in love and you were given up for adoption, that's a type of love too because apparently someone couldn't take care of you. But whatever you'd like to add about when you were born, start there, point of origin. Well, of course, I I come from California, and, and California back in the time that I was born was just getting ready ready for the hippie movement and the love children and all that kind of thing. So love was being uh, societally spread around, you could say. But as far as family is concerned, well, of course, you know, uh, I had very disjointed. Uh, I grew up without a dad, so therefore I relied heavily on my mom for love, the bonding that went between a a mother and a child, but there was no deep-set connection there. It was more intuitive rather than uh, physical or rather than, you know, um, emotional per se, Um, simply because, you know, I was moved around quite a bit as a kid, you know, from home to home and that kind of thing. And so I saw love expressed on a lot of different ways and a lot of different levels. Um, Like you said, there's there's the love that is the concern between the parent and the child, and that's more or less expressed innately, supposedly, or at least that bond is there without even being asked for. The attachment is kind of instantaneous. But the expression of that love between the two is not always there. As you have said, you know, even uh, witnessing your mother and, and her mother and the mother before that, they never hugged or anything like that yet the love was there that went unphysically expressed. And you don't have to have physical expression of love. There, there can be love that is just uh, emotionally felt. It's just a sentiment that goes between two, two persons, you know. Um, and then, of course, you know, if, when people do fall in love and actually get married and decide to have a family and all that, that's a, that's a love of another nature um, because that's, you know, Love is a very unusual thing in the fact being that no one really asks for it necessarily or looks for it, and oftentimes when they do look for it, they don't find it, or oftentimes if they look for it in the wrong place, they get rejected. Um, So love has lots of different avenues from lots of different perspectives. And, of course, now on a religious nature, you know, we're taught to love one another, and that is to, to be a reflection of how we love ourselves, so that this in turn would be, you know, that you would treat a person with respect and you would observe their boundaries and you would observe, uh, you would honor them and trust them and, and, you know, have a good 
friendship with them, and friendships in reality are also based on love because uh, love is, is, I think, the ability to appear to be vulnerable to another person without having to give full explanation as to why you're vulnerable. Or it can also be meted out from the aspect that you're sharing a particular experience and they have nothing more than an ear to listen. That, too, is a form of love. I mean, love comes at us in, in, in every myriad form that we can actually think of, and it can, it, it can be addressed from that aspect. I mean, you know, uh, a teacher praising a student that has excelled or, you know, uh, done something of that nature, uh, you know, gotten an A on a report or gotten an A in a particular subject matter or has excelled in school. Uh, that praise, praise is a form of love because it shows an appreciation of what the other person has done and a willingness to share in the gratitude for their accomplishment so that they themselves feel more love because they have exceeded, you know, um, in what they were trying to accomplish or this kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, we have parental love, we have child childlike love where you know uh, oftentimes kids fall in love with each other or develop crushes on each other and that's really not love love it's just kind of like a crush in other words it's like an introduction to love i guess you could say um and then of course there's a love between siblings and there's a parental love between parents and a child and there's love of all kinds um but the love that we are speaking of in general is to love everyone equally without any expectations. And that then in turn becomes agape, or what they call unconditional love, where you willingly accept everyone regardless of where they're coming from, where they've been from, what tradition they're in, and so on and so forth. Um, and this is, uh, I guess you could say that during my upbringing, it was the love of God that sustained me because I could feel God's presence within me throughout my, I've always felt God's presence within me throughout my entire life. So therefore, that was a sustaining love. Because uh, even though I would be shown lots of examples where there was hardship and bitterness and resentment and greed and, and all of these other things, uh, God's love was always there. So, you know, and, and that's a different perspective to have in a manner of speaking. But yet at the same time, it's, it's a perspective that all can develop if they so choose, you know. Um, and I'm not being overly religious. I'm certainly not trying to stress or push any beliefs on any particular individual for any particular reason. I'm just sharing that this is the perspective that I come from in the fact being that, you know, I have learned that if you willingly accept others and try your best not to judge them, uh, then that in turn is a love that is unconditional because you're fully accepting them from your heart to theirs and you're not having any, any expectation in particular, no hidden agendas or no, no uh, expectations that they're going to do a specific thing or that they're, uh, you know, going to do this kind of, and this is how you, the best way to go into a relationship, of course, is because if you have no expectations, then it is just a, a joyful love that the two of you share, and you build a future from that point forward. So that was my basic upbringing. I mean, yes, I had religious overtones because I was in, 
introduced to the Catholic Church, and I had uh, other churches involved in, in my upbringing, you know, and, and the the whole crux of it was that, you know, we were to love God and love one another, and that's the whole theme of things. Now, of course, if you love God and and, and use God as an example, uh, the mainstay being unconditional love, then, of course, in your daily life, that unconditional love is supposed to be shared with all that you come in contact with. And, of course, you know, uh, with life as it is, uh, that's not always the easiest thing to do. I mean, you know, people might make you mad. People make you aggravated. Uh, people will hurt you sometimes um, and all of these kind of things. And yet you're to love them regardless because love has the power to raise them uh, spiritually and mentally and emotionally so that they see that what they're doing and they and once they've realized it they then in turn are, are brought more into love per se so that's where I'm coming from TJ okay. okay I had done yeah okay I apologize I was delayed I was trying Ken one more time, uh, but then I said, oh, I'll wake him up if he, <laughs> he's taking his Sunday nap. That's not he deserves it. You know, he'll be 80 next year. Well, uh, yes, God and God, uh, the church and, and loved one was part of my life because my parents uh, had me christened, uh, sprinkling. Uh, I guess it's some ritual that we have. I don't know if all the churches still do it, but... I'm sure the Catholic Church still does it, but I wasn't Catholic. I was ordained or christened for the first time into the church or brought into the church, apparently through ritual in front of the culture, community, church, whatever you want to call it, in the a big Baptist church in Monroe, Louisiana. So I had a lot of cards, and I was a very uh, the first child in a long time, I guess, in my family because all my mother's my, my her mother only had a boy and a girl, so at that level, the grandma had twelve ch- children. My, well, not wait, let's see, mother, grandmother, great grandmother, because we had five generations alive, because I got married so young, and we had five generations before my great grandmother passed. But we were a maternal family, and I grew up knowing that life was about church. And uh, then by eight, we were uh, sprinkled, which I, th- I mean, um, baptized, which I think Ken, Pastor Ken discussed last week. If you'd like to go back and listen, Pastor Ken Johnston, it's on our archives here on blogtalkradio.com. You, I've got them all the way back to 2012 for all you historians, or if you have time to listen to learn about people you may like, including Pastor Rich. Rickert, actually he goes by Pastor Rich in my life, but pa- Pastor Rick, R-I-C-K, online with our ACF club, Ascension Cosmos Oracles, Ascension Church Ohana, and American Communication Online. We started the ACO brand, which I figured out a long time ago that branding was important on the Internet, but we have to separate because of all churches, religions, and the Baptist church, uh, but we did model or our articles and bylaws, uh, if anyone's interested. Uh, we have those up, too, on our American Communication Online and Teresa J. Morris Ministries. And uh, we're doing our best to uh, move everyone that 
can't go to a brick and mortar or do not want to go sit in a brick and mortar. And I have to admit, those pews when I was growing up were pretty hard. But these days, it looks like from what I can see on television evangelism, I've know I've always had a lot of friends that love Joyce Myers, and I actually enjoy her too. And my daughter did. So, uh, but these are uh, really huge, huge places she goes. I don't know if she. I really don't. I don't know if she. She has Joyce Myers Ministries and org too. But I don't know if she travels or what. But I know around the world, I've had people from other countries uh, compare me to Joyce Myers, and I was very flattered in emails. So, uh, also uh, Joel Osborne has a great. Uh, following huge, and he took over his father's church in Texas, where I used to live, and very huge in Houston. And they were using an arena that used to be when I was growing up in Houston. We moved from Monroe to Houston when I was 11, 12, or ninth grade. And uh, I hope these dogs, the next door, he's got three little Pomeranians. But uh, some people's air conditions are going around, around here, Richard, so that's why they're knocking on the door. But I told them they could come in and be on the show. At least they could be cool. But they're like, oh, no, no, I don't want I said, but it's about love. Come tell us about it. Oh, no, I don't want to be on your show. <laughs> so I'm going to have to get a live recording and put on the door. Uh, and also to keep Coco from barking. But this, the Southern Baptist Church was what I was only knew until my mother divorced my father. He was a deacon in the church of, well, actually, from the time the big one, I mean, it was huge too growing up. I mean, it was just gigantic and uh, for Monroe, but it was a very old town. But then when we moved, uh, my father and mother, when they were divorcing, mother took us and dad took us to Trinity Baptist. And uh, from there, uh, Trinity Baptist is where mother and uh, dad divorced, and mother moved us to Houston. And she married her boss, and uh, coming up in computer age, he was a CPA, and she was working uh, for him at Ola Matheson. And I don't know the detail on love one another when that happens, folks, but now there's so many children go through that. And I have to admit, it was hard for me. When people split, but uh, I'm not opposed to not sharing it. It's a story that happened to me, and uh, my children felt it too. When my husband and I were both government contractors, and we divorced, so uh, I guess it's more common. It's a contract, but it's the love one another that holds the bonds that really makes matrimony possible, and the church plays an important role because in our family, uh, my daughter and I had uh, a family that prays together, stays together. And nowadays, so many people poo-poo praying or sending your thoughts to God or higher source or power, uh, the higher power that we read about. Uh, even in the old fire clay tablets, a lot of you may not know because uh, the, uh, back in the Roman times, the church kept out a lot of books before Constantine chose which ones would go in the German Gutenberg uh, that went to print and press for the first time in Germany. And uh, so back in the day, 
they had uh, cuneiform. They actually had a way to communicate the old ways of the world, and those from the heavens came. And those that were mighty powerful gods are God, as we like to think, because of the way we were brought up in our world religions was Abrahamic faith, which was Jewish, Christian, and Muslim, and they all started from uh, the same Abraham, Isaac story in the Bible with Noah and Moses. So when uh, we talk about church, um, people in the United States, most of them will either be Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, or now uh, Muslims, all Abrahamic faith meaning they came from the family of Abraham. So uh, just keep that in mind, which really was shocking when you go back and study all the world religions, which I strongly suggest everybody do now that it's right there at your fingertips on the Internet in our cyberspace culture community. However, if you're hearing our voices, Pastor Richard T. Knight, Richard Thomas, got a beautiful name, Sir Richard of the Round Table, and we've got a new company, A Table Deal, here because we handle so many different niche or niche genres. Uh, even on Sunday, we'll go into several topics, but ours is based on the fact that we know there is a God, a higher power, whether you want to believe it or not, it's up to you. It is, faith is based on belief, but I'll tell you what really, uh, when my parents split up, that kept me going. I didn't go to church after they split up for a while. My sister did, Catholic. She wanted to be Catholic, but uh, mother was knowing circumstances because mother, uh, affected by Hitler, uh, her grandfather that married her, let's see, was it her grandfather? Yes, because her dad and mother had divorced uh, Bolton's uh had divorced. He was a police officer and a truck driver. Often, no, no, no. But he was driving a truck when he was killed. A, a big log came, logging came through the uh, glass on the back of his rig, and uh, I guess beheaded him uh, somehow. And uh, anyway, that was then. And my grandmother never married, so I never had a grandfather after that. And I was only four or five, because mother bought a house. Uh, I may have not even been that old, because I remember two years old living near my grandmother, Thurman, uh, Sarah Elizabeth Thurman in West Monroe, Louisiana, on North 7th Street. It used to be New Natchitoches Road, North 7th. I don't know what it is now, because they changed things up so much. But that's when we got the Baptist behind us. And uh, then, oddly... Uh, when mother had moved us and we moved over into NASA land or uh, where my boyfriend's father went to Grumman and uh, NASA and my husband at that time, uh, he was going to James Madison High. He was a senior and trumpet player, the president of the band, and I was a majorette. And we fell in love then. I know this is about love one another and love stories today or how to love one another. But there is all kinds of love. And there's nothing better than when you're uh, a teenager and those hormones, pheromones, whatever you want to call them, hit. And there's not a lot you can do about it because it's your first feeling 
And I didn't have boyfriend. We called each other boyfriend and girlfriend in elementary school and junior high, but it was puppy love. It wasn't like real love. You know, it was you had a crush. or It was just different. You know, you didn't kiss or do any of that, at least when I was growing up in the 50s. Now, in the 60s, it was NASA days going to moon and, you know, early 60s. That's what we were talking about with Kennedy and uh, November and Dallas when we lost President Kennedy. But it really affected my whole world and my whole family, and I wanted to go to space. But uh, I was a girl, and uh, so my husband worked at NASA for Chris Craft at NASA uh, during the Vietnam War. So while we were going to high school, twirling baton, playing trumpet, he became a Union Local 65 member and got paid to 25 an hour minimum wage or what that was back then. That was a lot of money. It seemed like it anyway, much more than he was earning at NASA because he would, you know, we needed it all then because we were starting to grow our family. We had four little children, four little girls together. And so that explains the love. But he and I had that teenage first love in high school. His name was Stephen Lee Parrish, and he worked as a government uh, directly for NASA. So he was cleared and I was cleared. And we were both recruited out of a James Bond movie <laughs> as we had been going almost two years when we got married to stu- steady. <laughs> when you're a teenager and you don't do anything, and I didn't know anything, he taught me. So he was my first love. And so there's that uh, passion that teenagers can have during that time, 15 to 20 one, because the brain doesn't really grow to an extent that we now understand, at least till 21 or 22, to understand all the emotional hormone imbalances while you're graduating, up-leveling in your own mind. But that was a very interesting time for me, and I needed church again. So I had a next-door neighbor that was a Latter-day Saint, and LDS, and so she introduced me to that. We couldn't drink, smoke, or drugs. I said, no problem. I don't do any of that. So the only hard part was they didn't believe in coffee and chocolate to be real strong back then. And back then they had no black people in the church, which was weird. Color people of color, as we say nowadays, white, black, brown, yellow, whatever color one is. So it's basically uh, not up to us because we come into these suits not knowing what I don't think, and maybe on the other side, but we didn't get to discuss when I would died uh, the color of skin I would be coming in. But this one seems to be most suited for those with the most melanin, darker skin. And my granddaughter, fortunately, I've always had olive skin except my face, which is really strange for me. It's like a brown cow with a white face. (laughs) So in school, it worked against me. They thought I was an Indian or Mexican, and even when I worked – for U.S. Expresses, they called me an Indian, and these white girls were pretty mean to me. They were very anti-my kind. I had black hair and olive skin and a white face that usually stayed tan, and that was all the way up to when I was working after we got married and I had children. Oh, my gosh. It's your turn, Richard, to talk about uh, – Hi. Uh, okay, I'm on the – you're on the radio. Okay, Richard, it's my daughter, other daughter. Stephanie, can you speak for a minute, Richard? All right. Thank you. Anyway, like TJ was saying, yes, there's young love that we experience as teenagers. 
and sometimes they develop into full-blown relationships that leads to marriage and then childbirthing and all that kind of thing. And of course, religion can or cannot play a part in it, depending on, you know, what you inherit from your family, uh, depending on what church they may be involved with, or and what customs and traditions they follow, and all that kind of thing. Um, but love is a sustaining voice within us. It is uh, the strongest emotion that we have, and of course, it's leads us to believe in ourselves, to believe in God, to believe in others, uh, to trust most emphatically in different situations. Um, and it can be expressed, like I said, in hundreds of different ways. Um, you know, you can give gifts, you can do sentiment, uh, you can do a phone call, you can do Skype nowadays, you can do Zoom nowadays, you can do all kinds of methods of reaching out that we didn't used to have because back in the old days you were lucky if you had a landline and of course that was the majority of the phone calls that were transpiring around the world now of course everybody has cell phones and laptops and computers of all kinds of sizes shapes and descriptions and so we have uh, the ability to communicate on the go and this is a good thing, and it's also a bad thing. Uh, you don't want to be communicating uh, while you're driving, by any means, uh, simply because then you're distracted. You're not paying your full attention in what's going on around you. Instead, you're paying too much heed to what's going on on the phone. But love can be expressed in all kinds of different sentiments in all kinds of different ways, and it's not purely between family. Sometimes you have a best friend that actually is more of a family member than your actual family members are. Uh, there's close-knit ties that develop sometimes through kinship, sometimes through uh, shared experiences such as sports or other avenues that you both may be interested in. Um, and the fellowship develops, and I mean, uh, church in, in its nexus is supposed to be fellowship, you know, to begin with, where you have a lot of like-minded individuals all gather in one place at one time in agreement from the sentiment that they all believe in God, and they've all met there to raise the vibrations of prayer unto God, which in turn and reflection becomes a love in and of itself, and all of this kind of thing. So love is a very sustaining nature within mankind. Um, and we need more love nowadays than ever before because naturally we have, uh, are just in the process of coming out of pandemic and all of this kind of stuff, uh, which led us into somewhat uh, an isolated state. So we had uh, less communication, uh, less experiences together, um, and this kind of thing. So, so we are getting back to somewhat of a norm, I guess you could say, on a, a very slow process. And But the love, you know, is, is a fellowship that you just reach out to others and you share with them how you feel and they turn share how they feel. And then, of course, uh, you, you find what commonalities you have, what similar interests you have, and then you build a friendship from there. And then, of course, if in fact it turns into love, then it develops into a relationship and uh, a partnership can be formed of any kind and so forth. And uh, 
This is what love is all about. I mean, love is the ability to look past sorrow, the ability to look past hardship, the ability to look past anything and everything that would bring you down and see that there is always a good part to everything, even though you may not recognize it at the time that experience is happening. Um, Love is the fellowship that we have as a race rather than just the distinguished parts of our differences. Love is what binds us together, and love is what will sustain us regardless of what goes on um, worldwide. Uh, There are many, many books that have been written about love, lots of poetry, uh, lots of different fellowships have been developed purely on the basis of love and kinship and the familiarity of sharing experiences and sharing, uh, you know, where you want to... uh, go forward with things and this kind of stuff and love is truly uh, the basis for us all and it will be love that in turn will lead us out of uh, any kind of darkness into the light you could say Um, and I I appreciate all forms of uh, thought and feeling and expression and all uh, religious understanding scientific understanding uh, philosophical understanding uh, and all of these kind of things because even they nowadays are leading to a point where we are beginning to comprehend that we are at our basis love in nature and so therefore it is the expression of the of that love towards each other that is utmost in importance And they say, of course, that everything is a vibration and everything is a frequency and we are all energy and that love is the most potent source of that energy or the highest vibration of that energy. So therefore, if you try to be positive as much as you can and you be loving in your expression towards others, then in turn that vibration is very high indeed and it reflects the same unconditional love excuse me, that is given to us by our creators. And so this is uh, why it's of utmost importance. And yes, we experience all kinds of love as we go through life. And of course, we also experience pain. And it is oftentimes the love of others and the support of others that will help us grow past that pain that we experience. TJ, you around? Well, anyway, um, love is, is, is essential. I mean, it just it sustains us in, in so many different ways. Uh, and through love, we, we develop inner peace, and we develop harmony, and we find joy, and we find the state of happiness. And once we've developed inner peace, then, of course, uh, there's nothing outside of ourselves that can actually disturb that inner peace. But again, this is a harmony of love. You know, this is love itself is the frequency that we all vibrate at when we are in a state of joy, in a state of happiness, and a state of contentment, one could say. It is uh, kind of fickle in in the aspect being that sometimes uh, the love may be unrequited. You know, you may uh, seriously fall in love with somebody at first sight and you've 
if, if in fact you make contact with them, you may find out that they have no such sentiments at all. And then other times, uh, you know, you can develop a friendship at first, and then it may blossom into a relationship. But love and kindness are the key most points in which we start. We really need to start treating each other from this aspect and from this perspective, simply because there is too much uh, separation and focus on differences and focus on all that is wrong in the world and all that is, you know, hateful and spiteful and an expression of greed and, and all of these kind of things going on around us. And we, I'm not saying we need to bury our head in the sand because we certainly don't need to do that. We should keep up on events that are going on around us. Say that. Hello? <laughs> I said there's plenty of sand around here where I live if you want to do that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you I'm back. Folks, I'm calling in from Gulf Breeze, Florida. It's a beautiful, hot day today. Lots of people at Pensacola Beach. Now that as of June, the world's back open, at least here where I'm living. How about where you're living, Mr. Richard T. Knight, putting your head out of the sand, not in the sand, right? <sighs> That's a figure of speech, you know. <laughs> anyway, yes, it's pretty much open. You know, Walmart has officially lifted the ban on uh, the requirement for people to wear masks, you know, and various states are reporting that they've got 50% or more people inoculated or vaccinated or whatever. So, therefore, they're they're not officially declaring that the the virus is over with, but they are saying that, you know, hey, we no longer need to be as frightened of catching the virus as we had once been. And so, you know. Well, I don't have to go anywhere, maybe to Walmart, because I have to get my own groceries. But, you know, my back and neck was broke, and I've lived with it and gotten better, just like Richard's just gotten his surgery, at least on his back. Uh, but, you know, that's a different kind of love, too. My daughter just came by and knocked on the door just to check on me on Sunday. <clears throat> I know that sounds funny, but we live close enough that she can at least come by and see I have, haven't died and hadn't stunk the place up. <laughs> but that's a form of motherly love and daughter love that we share. I have lost one daughter to cancer uh, January. Well, it's March 16th, basically, but it was the 15th day was terrible in my life on March 15th with her. But this daughter... Uh, that just knocked on the door was really good and sisterly love. I've never seen anything like it. How deep Stephanie Parrish took care of her sister, Gigi Parrish. And then Angela Parrish lived on the corner from me. And so uh, Steffi did live down the corner from me, but they moved and got a big home house, home house, big house. I guess it's a home in a house, <laughs> a house that is a home. But it is the family and the love in the family that makes the home. Otherwise, people like me and Richard are very minimalistic when you get our age. We've already lived through the years. Uh, and it does have a lot to do with age, uh, folks. We really need to look at that, especially in our Ascension Cosmos articles. And those of you are uh, haven't died yet or been on the other side or studied your past lives or anything in this unconditional love we have on this planet it really does exist it keeps us together and yet some people will argue about our type of uh, 
show our internet because uh, we're a church online and forming the nonprofit. But that's the way churches do and teach love one another and uh, unconditional love because that's our foundation. We don't care if you're blue, green, yellow, pink, have two heads and a tail or none of the above. <laughs> Because uh, really, for number one on radio land, we can't see you anyway. <laughs> but uh, Richard and I have a curious background, and uh, love, uh, we just decided that's what we were going to base this on, unconditional love. And that sort of takes in anything and everything and whatever it is. So, Richard, you were talking about not separating and everybody just loving because it is the glue of the universe, is it not? Yes, indeed. Well, would you say all the way out above the cosmos? Because don't you have an explanation uh, when you sleep and go into dream state or into lucid dreaming or into the other universes or places that you know you've been and you know it's not a dream? I was in one... uh, Really, I stayed up really late last night, not meaning to. I'll get working on the computer and forget how late it is. And I wasn't playing games. I was working until 1 o'clock in the morning on websites uh, for various niches. But uh, by the time I went to sleep and woke up, I was in another world with people I knew and uh, was interested in how much they had and had not there. And uh, Richard, what do we want to – we call that part of the cosmos – and uh, exposing other worlds, other trends in the uh, multi-dimensions, parallel worlds, universes now in the cosmology, and people on TV are doing the same thing as we are now. So what do you want to call that? Well, uh, you know, I recognize that the source of all is basically unconditional love. In other words, I don't give them a personality or uh, I don't try to humanize them. And I think this creative source is, is basically the source of all of creation. So therefore, it covers all the cosmos and all the universes and all the galaxies and everything. Um, so those that are of a higher dimension than ourselves that have been around for who knows billions of years longer than we have are far more advanced than we are and more assimilated to that uh, vibration of love you could say so therefore uh, they would tend to be more peaceful towards us and more peaceful towards others than we have learned to be as of yet um, and of course the technology is more advanced than ours and They know how to utilize energy and frequency a whole lot better than we do. And, of course, they're they're also coming from possibly a state of well-being and the fact being that there is no lack, there is no uh, want or uh, true desire simply because they don't don't have anything that they – they have everything that they need and there is very little that they lack, I'll put it that way. Whereas, again, this is a sore topic with us because we're programmed from day one, basically. You know, you got to get up and you got to get out and you got to work and you got to earn money, and the money in there in turn provides you with everything that you need. And the focus 
has been on money for far too long because money is nothing but an expression of energy anyway. It takes the place of bartering as we used to do in the way, say, you know, two, three hundred years ago. Um, now, of course, money takes the place of it. And the focus has been on money. And money can, uh, you know, brings about power. It brings about uh, influence. It brings about uh, the ability to withhold or the ability to add. Um, it, money in and of itself is not evil. It's just simply simply energy, a means to make changes in your reality or the reality of others. So love, of course, is far more important than just money because you can't buy love, as they say, and that's very true. Love is just given to you freely, and uh, you expand upon it outwardly from there. So I would hope that if, in fact, other than uh, what you would say uh, telepathic communication and if, in fact, we have physical contact with another race of beings, that in turn they would greet us with love and we would return that love to them. Uh, now, when, in fact, that's going to happen, who can say? That's up to, you know, timelines and all that kind of thing. Is well, that what you were referring to? Or? Yeah, that, that's excellent. Yeah, I'd love to hear you talk. Uh, not just your accent, but that's a big part of it, but the the words you put together. And you always seem to have a, a – I really like I was, – I was studying folks how to write scripts and movies and all that because uh, I want to not just do my books. I want to do the next level and produce them ourselves like so many are doing on all the channels now. And we have a lot of channels. I have a lot of them on YouTube. So I guess that's where we broadcast from. But uh, – Anyway, for right now, Richard uh, has a good way. He says it's a gift of gab as is born with, as is bringing up, which may or may not be true because he has a lot of Scottish in him. And I have Irish in me, and I know I have the gift of gab because people tell me all my life and my children, at least one of them, Angela, says that she, people will tell her. Now, we it was harder to go through menopause, and my children are going through it the one three that are still alive anyway, because they've reached that age. So they were born in 68, 70, 72, and 74. So that's the years they were born. And so now in 2021, well, let's say roughly within two years apart, every two years I had a daughter. So uh, it was August 13th that Steffi just showed up. So three out of four still alive. And and then really the kind of love we have is not made for a parent to bury their children. So all of you out there on this day that have buried a child, God bless you. Because without our faith to have within a higher power, I don't know how anyone could do it and live through it. Now, she died on the 19th, and I don't remember hardly anything in 19 and 2020. And then COVID-19 was in 2020 and I uh, so two years roughly yeah because I didn't come back out Richard came into my life uh, like the end and sort of brought me out of my bubble with just two people Janet Lesson and Tommy Hawksblood which most of you know for nine years and they have their own uh, their own channels now so Richard honored me by having uh, I guess taking mercy on my soul (laughs) 
and helping me get my church started. That I wanted to do that because my daughter died of cancer, and uh, the type was not out there for her to share or find anything about it on the Internet, not the way that she did it. So she left behind her story in various phone to internet videos on YouTube. So thank God for YouTube. And uh, I'm going to do my best to get those where we can all see it because her legacy was for our church, Ascension Church Ohana. And she knows I had Teresa J. Morris Ministries in my name, but we always had Ascension Center organization in Hawaii when she lived there with me. And we had the ACE Metaphysical Institute and the Ascension Center Psychic Network. And I taught all this stuff. But she gathered a little bit from hanging out because she was too young. And I had her in private school for uh, movie stars over there, high, very wealthy, because she had come to me from her dad during that divorce as skinhead and uh, doc something, book hook or something boots and uh we had to deal with that culture crisis in my life so uh we had her going to 150 hours psychologist and the 500 a month or so or every three months or something anyway it was expensive school but she learned to love differently once she went through that i got her in the hawaii paper in uh, uh as a model and well for my clothes for my corporation and uh, Jungle Beach and wearing the court clothes. And my husband was in there. I was, oh, yeah, I was on back page with my partner. But that kind of love is hard to express that uh, she, we were together and went and sealed in the Latter-day Saint church. So church and love and family, hugging and kissing. We did all that stuff that my mother didn't do with me are my father uh, the closest thing my father i can ever did was picking me up to his waist and then remember when he'd say you're too big and mother would say she's too big and but uh, i guess that's i don't know how old you are but it seemed like six to eight because he'd pick the other children up and i always remember you know that big pull from the floor and sometimes i'd push and he'd pull so that was a big deal when you're too big for love to be handled or hugged <laughs> so, uh, uh-oh. Uh, Richard, can you hear me now? Yeah, I've been hearing you all along. How it showed that you dropped off. Yeah, I did temporarily. I hit the wrong button, but I dialed right back oh. in. <laughs> so I didn't miss a bit of word or two. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that there's different kinds of the way we think of love, and I hear different people that have been on the show for eight years talk about love, our family love, and student love. You know, your buddies are the ones you get a crush on at school, and uh, family love. And then we may have dysfunctional families when we get together after we've grown up. And I know when my brothers and sisters, because we get mother would always insist all of us getting together because she had six children then another with Charlie my stepfather so we had a half sister Leticia Thomas and now she, and she married Sandejas 
So in Houston, we brought in the Catholic Mexican family. We still wound up being a mixed family with Catholics. <laughs> and I love them. And, you know, we learned to love people of color because half of the family was now having children. And my niece, Marissa Sandejas, is uh, half Spanish, Mexican, and she looks at real dark skin, dark eyebrows, and well, black eyebrows and black hair, you know. And here, you know, I am olive skin with a white face and white hair now. But it's not about the colors. It's about the love and the endearing sentiment, although I don't see family. So now, Richard, let's get into this logistics, especially when people go home for Thanksgiving. We we honor love one another with our culture and what we see that basically came through the churches, even the Halloween, Hallowed Evening, are those that we stut- we praise the dead, walk the earth. And uh, Christmas, for when we put out the trees, which probably have nothing to do, and I've studied it when, uh, during that time and found it usually has something to do with the old world and how things were done. But you'll have to look that up because, and then compare the different stories as to how that got to be. But uh, since mother's grandfather, which I was telling you was from Poland, I may not have finished that uh, conversation, but they were Jewish. So apparently I remember when my mother, mother's mother finally said they were going to have a tree because they were Jewish and they never did. And my great-grandmother honored that Jewish tradition. But when uh, my mother's mother married a Bolton, and she was Esther Bolton, she said, well, she broke tradition with my great-grandmother and had a tree. I remember because she taught my great-grandmother was one of those. Her sisters were Mennonites and wore the petticoats, and they would bring their that part of our family. Now, this, I'm going back to when I was a child in the 50s, uh, late 50s, early 60s. They, we mixed with my cousins that I loved, even though they were Mennonites. They weren't uh, uh, allowed to play with us at the family reunions. They had on the long dresses, button-up shoes, petticoats, and a bonnet on their head. But they weren't. Uh, they were, and I was trying to figure out what do you mean because, you know, and they, they, it was a different time for children in the same family coming from the old school of Mennonites, couldn't be Catholics, and we they were like Anabaptists I think, which are, what's the other one that drive the horse and buggies, Richard? Uh, oh, Amish. I had it in my mind, and then yeah, the Amish. Amish, and basically, know, basically both of these, both of these cultures, more or less, uh, say it's uh, one leads a life closer to God if they more or less divorce the way of the outward world. So they they're yeah. very close kin culture, and they're religious in the in the fact being that they have very strict rules and regulations over what they can and cannot do, and they're not. Uh, outward in regards to wanting to intermix in general society and that kind of thing. They, they try very much to keep to themselves and provide society of themselves for themselves. And so there's a specific way of dress and a specific way of a custom of, of relating to each other and rights and wrongs that are according to their culture. 
and it's you know it's like living in a different or a separate world you could say because uh, naturally our culture and, and the way that we cultivate our ideas and expressions and, and sentiment are expressed towards us emotionally and otherwise uh, leads us to our beliefs which in turn becomes our faith and so therefore you know people of different faith that are that come to us through different cultures uh, oftentimes there's like a separateness uh, at first because there's there's no melding of the ways so then of course to break with tradition and and do something that was counter uh, another one's tradition or whatever um, kind of sets a, a new pace or, or opens a new doorway you could say um, through which all all those gathered together of course can communicate and relate to each other yeah the Amish tend to uh, shy away from technology and uh, I'm reading here what's the difference it says Mennonites versus Amish differences but since they were in my family and I had friends that were Amish and Mennonites and then in Kentucky how I lived there 20 years from 20 well 98 till 2015 is 17 years right but I was with him for 20 years and legally married 15 years but during that whole 20 years the Amish Fellowship, they had a, a different way of coming to the table, and they shared communion with me, but it was because I came and had Amish table food and bought their food at the Amish, uh, where they all bring it to like a flea market, Amish flea market, in their horse and buggies in Kentucky. I loved living like that because the food was good. And we grew it ourselves, or they grew it themselves, and my husband would sell it. And my husband could have been an Amish easy, and they really loved him because he had that German look. They knew he was German and had the black hair and the dark skin and, you know, sold their food for him on his uh, stand when before he died. So the Amish, uh, but they were no touching. So that must have been where my grandmother got no they don't touch in public. So now I just realized reading this Amish, I get why my grandmother and them, they didn't touch, had, had a different uh, way of uh, conservatism. And I bet you that was a lot of the way it was back then. They didn't show affection. Uh, we've come a long way, folks, but you think about how America was started and who all came over here and started from Virginia and getting off the, the boats and uh, New York up and down Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina. But let's see, they, nowadays you can, just, it says distinguished from Amish six steps, the Amish tend to be isolated communities, avoid using modern technology. Mennonites are not restricted in these ways. That's what I was confused about, but yet they still weren't allowed to come over and play with the English. Uh, so we were different, even though we were all in the same family. So our family was split with my great-grandmother's sisters when they would come and bring my cousins. So uh, anyway, so folks, families can be all intermixed. And I guess that's why I wound up being a Latter-day Saint. I don't know. Because the Mormons had great fellowship in families 
and their culture. In the modern day, of course, they believe in technology, and you drive to the church and sit in the church, and you know the men go to priesthood meetings, and the women go to home something. I don't know, but we had family home evenings on Monday, home economics or something. I don't know. I never got into that. I mean, I was, I was, oh, Relief Society president. Yeah, I was a Relief Society president once. But the women had certain meetings, and then everybody would go to church. But, uh, you know, German priests were Menno uh, Simons, who was revolutionary leader of the community. The Amish were born out of the Mennonites. Oh, I didn't know that. Did you, Richard? The Mennonites had the 16th century when Swiss priest Jacob Ammon separated from them, from them. So he believed they did not blow, oh, follow enough strictness. On I didn't know women. that. I didn't either. And it's just uh, what are called the Amish. So the uh, people wanted stricter uh, than the Mennonites had. The German priest Menno Simons, uh, it was for Menno, Mennonites, were named for the German met priest Menno Simons. Now, folks, you can look this up yourself, but we're just sharing today in love one another in the different forms of love, uh, even in the church. So the leader of the community. So the communities would have this gentleman, and he was a Mennonite. Uh, well, they started the name in the 1600s in Germany. German priest Menno, M-E-N-N-O, Simons, S-I-M-O-S, evolutionary leader of the community. And then the Amish were born out of the Mennonites later in the 16th century when Swiss, a Swissman, German Switzerland, right there close to each other, named Jacob Amman, A-M-M-A-N, ergo Amish, Amish, Mennonites. Anyway, Amman separated from them. He believed they did not follow their strictness based on shunning worldly things, and his followers were called Amish. So their differences went on, and uh, they have different clothing, the Mennonites and the Amish, but they still make the best clothing themselves. And they, uh, that's only, a, that's, uh, they had their own, Richard, where I went to get the food, they had their own clothing store, and uh, they made it, right? And they could only wear certain colors. Uh, did you know that? Hmm. Well, you probably, right? Yeah, you didn't probably... yeah I, I had noted that the colors were very sedate to their clothes. No vibrant colors or anything like yeah. that, you know. That can, the Amish can wear like black or uh, dark blue, light blue, gray, tan, brown, uh, and even a subtle green. But the Mennonite colors are more like black, blue, gray, and tan colors. But the Mennonite shirts are usually button-down shirts with a pocket or polo shirt. Now, how to distinguish Mennonite from an Amish? I don't know, Richard, if we could pass that test. And But uh, usually I think it's the Amish that we think more of with the horse and buggy and the black and the underskirts and the white bonnets. And I'm looking at some pictures. But anyway, just a close glamour of world religions and what stemmed out of the 1600s, even when the – Bible came around, and uh, now people may want to hear more spiritual, metaphysical topics uh, today, but it's interesting to me, and uh, it is uh, the history of how we became who we are today through all the world religions that touched our lives, 
And we are open and welcoming, especially to the LBGTQ, uh, et cetera, et cetera, trans community, uh, because I remember when the Mormons, the Latter-day Saints, wouldn't let the black in. Personally, I remember that. And then they all of a sudden had a revelation, and now they could come in through the head of the church. So I'm sure that he's going to have a revelation because they're losing too many members. And my brother, it just killed his soul because he was such a avid Latter-day Saint. But he was born with my sister, and they were twins, which Richard, you know, I've talked about. Now, that was a unique kind of love because I had to help. I was like 11 going on 12, I think, when they were born. I'm 10 years older, so I was 10, 10 because they were born January 23rd, I think. Yeah, and... uh I was born in 51, and they were born in 61. So they were born at the first. So you have 10 years. Interesting. So I got to put diapers on them and help mother because she had uh, my younger sister, Brenda, my brother, Nat, who is now deceased, and my brother, Hugh, Charles Houston Thurman, and then uh, the twins. Of course, then she had Tish after that. But... uh, my brother was born gay, and, uh, you know, they say uh, you're not born that way, but I guarantee you he was because he just looked different from the time. I kept telling mother there was just something different about him. But he wasn't maternal. They weren't identical. They were paternal, separate sacs, separate feed, just born together, and close as they could be. But we lost him due to AIDS at a very young year. But he got to be on Oprah Winfrey's show and leave some videos uh, of him. I'll have to grab those too. But anyway, back to colors. These uh, love apparently uh, has to do into these distinguishing worlds of communities based on the colors. Uh, they want them where you, you can't really distinguish uh, from one from another. And I remember a big thing here, Richard, in the schools here, because so many for several years, the the uh, regular people couldn't afford the logos like polo and all that. Uh, you may not have had children, but do you remember that era where the kids in high school couldn't were having to wear plain and you couldn't wear uh, certain Adidas? I guess they're over that now for shoes, but. They, they were just something doing on banning clothes. I don't know who won through that, but a lot of the, it made a lot of the other kids feel inferior that their parents couldn't afford that. And since mother had so many, I imagine we would have been in that if it hadn't been for our rich kin, the Wrights in New York, sending us all their fancy clothes, our mother making ours. I, I mean, if we got a store-bought dress, that was something. But there was so many of us, even though we were from an upper-middle-class family. Uh, but do you remember that, Richard, when they – and that is a form of love. It's love for the community of the people that can't afford the fancier stuff, and the kids shunned them at school or meant they wouldn't have anything to do with them. But I want to I talk about the shunning, too, at the table of – because I've got a table deal, and I keep thinking of Sir Richard Knight's of the round table. <laughs> a round table. But I can remember, you know, back – Back when, uh, you know, you could either afford name brands or you couldn't, you know. 
And, yeah, you could say that the, the ones that could afford it formed cliques or whatever and sort of kept to themselves or looked down their nose at others that couldn't afford them. But I would say overall the majority probably could afford things like Levi's and, you know, different name brands that were not as expensive as, like you said, Adidas or, or any of the sportswear that, you know, uh, Ralph Lauren and all the rest of it that's come out uh, that was all trendy and, and, you know, all designer brands and all this kind of thing. But, I mean, uh, overall, of course, in California, uh, I don't think there was that much to do made of it simply because, you know, uh, California's a different kind of culture unto itself. I mean, um, everybody's very open. Everybody's very um, communicative for the most part. Uh, and now that's not to say that, you know, that there aren't such things as bullying and rejection and things of that going on, because you find that in every culture, and regardless of whether we're talking religion, regardless of whether we're talking community, regardless of whether we're talking state, regardless of whether we're talking country, uh, that goes on around the world. But uh, the thing of it is, you know, it, I don't think there was so much heed paid to it that it made that much of a significant difference. At least that's what I found in the high schools of California, anyway. Well, in Birmingham, uh, my kids uh, all separated from their uh, families and divorced, all of them young. So Jaden uh, Skipper, who grew up here with me his last few years, and I got the honor of showing him how to drive my van so he could take his test, but I was very honored to be living here to do those kind of things as a grandparent because when his cousin, Stephen Ryan, that's now an Air Force pilot, uh, my oldest daughter's son in the Air Force, uh, I got to see them very scarcely in Birmingham because they were just little in elementary and I was working for the government. But I'm sure now that he's in the Air Force, he could understand, but then I'm sure he didn't. You know, so he he uh, doesn't remember me. I'm sure. Uh, I doubt he remembers any of us that much. Uh, they ha- they came back here selling a home they have, and they've been transferred back to Texas in the Air Force uh, from this base here to uh, I guess it's Lackland uh, down the road uh, past where I live. In the, I live in Gulf Breeze, and there's Navarre. And like Fort Walton. Anyway, all the bases down there. So they came back to sell their house. But, you know, that's love too, but it's unconditional love. I'll always love all my grandchildren. But unfortunately, they didn't know much of growing up around me because I was always on the go. I was either, you know, in a government contract or in country or out of country and doing my job. And I was one of those women, like my kids called me superwoman. Because uh, I was like Wonder Woman, but uh, they always said that's Mommy Wonder Woman even to this day. And then my grand, uh, my daughter died having Wonder Woman, all that, and then she got a Wonder Woman tattoo and gave one to my oldest daughter's. Uh, of course, tattoos are in now for kids, so it's not like it used to be. They can tattoo their skin, but I uh, don't suggest you do it if you're going in the military, but I did it after I got in the military the second time around. But I uh, got uh, that's a long story and a different type of love to remember who you are, why you're doing what you're doing, and to help you remember. But uh, 
the grandchildren is hard in today's society. Some families stay home like the Mennonites or our Amish or raise themselves in a small town and the children never leave. And on the other hand, after the hippie movement in the 60s and the 70s, and they got to be all love and peace after Vietnam War, and all those children, you know, grew up having children. And some of them were uh, counterculture bohemian living just from town to town, and I've met some. And then uh, we have the new ace folklife president, Scott Breen, who I've yet to get you with, and I want you to meet him. But he lived in Michigan his whole life. <laughs> so he's only known New Orleans and recently went down to New Orleans, and his family missed him so much, uh, even though they're older children in their early 20s. I think he had an 11-year-old, but asked his wife asked him to come back to Michigan. So I don't know our ace folklife headquarters is going to be Michigan or New Orleans, but it doesn't matter now thanks to the love of one another we have, and uh, we'll just get along with them based on their location and their zip code and their cell phone, and uh, it's that kind of culture now, Richard. You know, it's uh, before in military families, some weren't thought of well, others were, uh, depending because we had to move around. Some had to be on food stamps. And I remember those days uh, when I went from being a lot of money in Hawaii to no money in Texas at Fort Hood, you know, and waiting for my next assignment. And my kids lived on base or, no, right off the base in a duplex like I live in now outside the fence and took me to the, get my own food stamps. I was like, what? And do you know, Richard, I never even knew what they were. And that was 1993, four. Now, when I came in from the government and I was signed the contract, but I had to wait for the Pentagon to approve it and a man meet with me and then a woman meet me. And I had a lot of interviews before and the uh, Navy had to come and had to take another test and reenter. So I want you to put that in our book because the love of country is another love that I don't know I've ever felt as deep because of the commitment physically the memories are all good for me now the memories from my husband were all good except the death and dying that i didn't have to deal with in desert storm and richard you were on base but you just did security and then you came back and that's going to be our men in black story too because going out of country and sharing some of the details of missing the love of family and the love of country and taking that oath, there's no deeper commitment that I've ever felt or the feeling they instilled in me because I had worn a Girl Scout uniform. Uh, my mother was a Brownie Girl Scout teacher, and they made sure at Ransom Elementary in West Monroe we had uh, Miss Tallbird, Susan Tallbird's mother was the scout leader, and she couldn't do it anymore. So mother took it over, Teresa Thurmond at the time, and then I'm, I'm Teresa Thurmond now, but I didn't get to use it as a child. I was Jan Thurmond, which is another whole thing about how you track your names you've had <laughs> before you were a mature adult and then even afterwards because AT&T was pretty rough with me in security getting my AT&T back and said, we have aliases, and I she meant 
my married names because I said, I've never had an alias. And she said, yes, you have. I said, no. And I says, ma'am, we've got your account since you had your first phone. I, I said, well, probably not. She says, well, at least in your name in 1987. I went, 87, where was I? I was in Great Lakes, Illinois. So I guess that's where I got my first phone in my name, staying at home or something. But, you know, did you have a pet name? And let's talk about pet love, uh, pet love for your pets. Love one another, love your pets. But yeah, did anybody, it. did you have a pet name? A pet name like as in what other people called me or what? Levy Poo. I mean, they used, they used to Choo-choo. tease me. No, nothing <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, what was your, why would they tease you? Were you fat? You were a fat kid? No, 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 no. I just, uh, I don't know. They didn't, I think they didn't understand me. I think that's what it was mainly. What's, I mean, I was. When you were, I was all up, Were you highbrow? No. Oh, Educated. Not by any means. Well, yeah. I mean, I had, uh, I guess, a fair amount more smarts, smarts than is common or whatever. So therefore, I could exceed and, and skip grades and the likes of that. But you know, and I always made good grades in school. But I, I was always, uh, I was kind of kept to myself. I had a very, very uh, small affiliation with friends. And then, of course, I played soccer and I got into the martial arts. And, of course, I do agree with you, though, that the commitment in regards to the love of country is one that you give wholeheartedly. It is, it is without question. It is, it, it's a love of, of a, different, a different nature because you're, you're talking about loving your country for what your country stands for, for the freedom and all those kind of ideologies. And I think that's a love that you, that you just commit to um, internally and mentally and emotionally, and, and you do it without uh, a second thought. In other words, it's either a love and a commitment that you're willing to do or a love and commitment that you just don't have, one of the two. But, uh, yeah. That's that's not an individual love per se. That's that's a love to to serve your country. Um, just to catch up well, on I that think part it as a anyway. Kid, I didn't know what it meant, and I never felt that. But the second time I went in, they call it a four by ten, seventy five, seventy four. We had we had had the in Vietnam War, and I was surprised they let me learn anything. But I was under contract from sixty seven the paperwork, and then they had a five-year, 68, 69, 70, oh, 72, okay, it was 72, my five-year contract was up, and I remember my husband bringing me home the papers, said I had a, a commitment, a five-year commitment, and they had to redo my paperwork, and mm-hmm. I did, I was like, are you kidding me? I'm having, I'm, I'm pregnant with my, I, I, I know it was 72, because I was pregnant, <laughs> I was like, I can't go in now. I'm pregnant, you know. They said, well, when you're not pregnant, you're going back in. I remember them saying I was going back. They meant that probably in uniform, right? But uh, I I didn't mind. I loved my country. But it wasn't till – well, I went over to Balboa. I got an HM3 at Balboa Hospital. I told you all before, Del Coronado, and stayed uh, on the Marine base. So I was in a program for – uh, women, but they didn't really want women to do anything yet. So I got back out because of my kids, 
And then they kept me on paper all that time till uh, they brought me back in active duty, 85. Active duty meaning uh, serving out the rest of my time, but I had to sign a new contract. And I signed it on 42993 instead of May 10th, 1967. And five year was 72. So, Richard, I should have another contract, but I don't know that they did it because they delayed entry me. I don't know how that from uh, May 10th, even though I was in on the paperwork trail. And remember back then we had hard copy. But yep. that's – you're right. Until I got that uniform but really worked my mm, – off in here in Orlando when they put us through again. But I was 33 years old, Richard, by that time when they came and actively recruited me. In the military again, I just come in from Europe checking in the embassy there and the one in uh, Johannesburg, uh, Africa. And they recruited me and put me back in uniform. And uh, I couldn't, the, the woman said, you don't remember what you did before? And she knew me and remembered me. She had trained me the first time around. I was like, are you kidding me? And I couldn't remember, but she showed me a picture, but they've torn that wall down. It was my name, my picture, and I came back to do another one. And I recognized the artwork is mine and my name, but I'm like, but I don't have any memory at all, Richard. So hmm. that's gone. I don't know what all, but it's gone. So they, uh, Anyway, that's the love, but that putting on that uniform. Did you get to go to boot camp, or was were you in? Weren't you in Army Air Corps or Army something? What were you in? Army National Auxiliary. Guard. Army National Guard. First time Don't around. Uh, I was in military police, yeah. and we did boot camp on site. Military okay. police for the Army National Guard does all the training on site. They have all the equipment, all the all the necessary placements and so forth, and you just go through training right there, hands-on, on site. Now, when I got out of them and, and went in back in 80 uh, through 83, I had gone into the Army Reserves with the JAG Corps, and, yes, I went off to boot camp in, in uh, Kentucky and all this different kind of stuff. But anyway... Uh, uh, the JAG Corps, they had one with the Army, because mine was JAG Navy, Naval Investigative Service, but I worked for the Attorney General, and we did uh, Judge Advocate General, and we would write the reports. You did the same? Yeah, the JAG I mean, Corps? yep, there's a JAG Corps for each branch of the service. All right, so I went next door to Army up there, Fort Shafter next to, uh, wait, Fort Shafter's Hawaii, isn't it? Anyway, I forget. There was some fort right next to. They caught me over there and showed me I'd be doing army too. Anyway, and I we don't. We, we're getting that a field crazy. here. We're going into all this military stuff. We got thirty-three minutes. Now let's go into this paranormal. I say we share paranormal authors, speakers, alien contactees, UFO secret space, cosmology, folklore, writers, and let's see who well, showed up today. 843, hi. You're live and on the air with TJ and Richard. How are you doing today? Oh, good can afternoon. How are you? Yes, can, can you hear me? Fine. Hello? Yeah. Where are you calling in from? 
Okay, okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I actually just pressed one right at the moment you said that, so that was kind of unique. I, I, I figured you may have had another caller ahead. My apologies. Um, my name is Mike. I'm calling from the Myrtle Beach area of the 13th Colony, I like to call it. Myrtle Beach. Is that like Charleston or something? South Carolina. Oh, actually, I'm from the... Uh, Oh, yes, yes. I'm from the very powerful area of the Five Rivers, right between Myrtle Beach and Charleston, known as Georgetown. Wow, history there. Is that your yeah. oh, yeah. purpose for calling in, or did you want to talk about Edgar Casey? <laughs> um, actually, I wanted to tell you what I discovered of myself that, you know, it, and I'm careful who I say this to, because... Well, Look, Edgar Casey is a Edgar Casey's an icon. You know, I don't put. Okay, I'm not real. Sh- uh uh. He said he was an icon. Okay, you'll have to call back in. We'll have to get his name. Uh, icon. His name's Mike. But he was, I think he wants to share his story, right? His name's uh, Mike. But sometimes we get people. Sometimes we get people that call in on uh, line, and they may or may not have a good, uh, especially about religion, they may or may not have a good story. But if you have a good story, call back in. So he got cut off. Uh, uh, Did he say icon? He said that Edgar Casey was an icon. His name is Mike. Oh, okay. I wonder if it's really Mike. Well, Mike, you'll have to call back in. he got cut off. I didn't cut him off, but he got cut off. So, uh, but Myrtle Beach. Yeah, I wonder who cut him yeah, off. Yeah, Myrtle Beach. <laughs> it's 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 out out on the east coast in the South Carolina area. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, my, my so children I. lived in Myrtle Beach. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Well, tell yeah. me, uh, we were going to talk about the paranormal authors, speakers. Alien contactees, UFO secret space, cosmology, folklore, writers, developers, and webmasters. And Richard and I are writing books now. And Love One Another was the name of my CD. But Richard, Love One Another, how about these, the secret space cosmology? We can get into esoterics because a lot of this falls into esoterics and uh, what it means to uh, – get into that uh some people grow through church and i know that i've been following hyperion through pythagoreans and the math i don't believe that it's just the answer but i like the way they put together logic and the philosophy of all the world religions and uh folklore and philosophy but we do a lot of philosophy here on sundays and uh helping others with their consciousness. Richard, can you talk a little bit about the conscious cosmos oracles and how we understand our mind isn't just in our brain? The brain is only the physical aspect. I mean, that's the physical component that, regu- that regulates and runs our physical bodies, basically speaking. The mind, you could say, is our identity our personality and so therefore no it's not measurable in any any context per se uh, even though of course uh, from a psychological standpoint you know they, they try to say that people have gone crazy or that they've lost their mind and this kind of thing but 
here's the thing. You cannot really in any way, shape, or form gain full access to what another person is thinking, okay, unless, of course, you use telepathy. And then even to, in telepathy, a person can put up uh, what you would call barriers so that you cannot actually read their thoughts if, you, if they so chose that that was not something they wanted you to do. So, um, but yes, the mind... The mind is basically, I, I guess you would have to say, electromagnetic. It's, it's an electrically charged field that is our personality. It is uh, how we think about things or we gather all the information that the world has given us and then in turn reduce it like a computer into different aspects, categories, and so forth. And that's just how we're programmed. Uh, we program ourselves to react to given situations and that kind of thing. Uh, it is also a grand storehouse of a tremendous amount of information, um, and it is our perception. Uh, it is how we see things, how we feel about things, uh, the opinions that we have, uh, the traditions that we like to follow, or the foundation that we've laid for ourselves. It is also our philosophy, uh, our view on life. Everything about us uh, basically resides within our mind. Now. When we start talking ascension and we start talking going beyond the mind, okay, then you start talking about the higher self, which is the spiritual essence of your cognitive being. In other words, I, I believe that the heart also has a sentience. There is a uh, matter of the heart thinking or the heart feeling just as much as the mind does. And so it becomes a quieting of the mind. In other words, a turning inward away from the outward world that is all that is presented to us and listening to our hearts and then in turn in tuning into our spiritual nature. And our spirits, of course, our spiritual consciousness or higher self is our core essence to our being. So that's how I take on my take on that. Mike, just came back in. Mike, are you in your car? Uh, negative. Uh for those that know me, whenever I try and call and uh, share some stuff like this, I would dare say some say it's evidence of I'm not supposed to say something, but it happens with frequency. Interesting. Uh, the last time I was on Blog Talk and called in a different show, which I won't name, uh, yes, very much. Matter of fact, a voice came screaming that, gave a lot of people some chills in the background that, uh, well, it made me even think, but I don't rule out feedback. Wow. Well, by all means, uh, share what you're going to share and, and be quick about it then so that whatever interference <laughs> can't interfere with you. Well, what I was going to share is I won't go into detail, but I feel confident that I've come to understand a little bit of the procedure Edgar Casey was able to put himself into. And something that was preconceived in my mind when I discovered the way to do this was what Edgar Casey had done, which is he had noticed a correlation with people that unknowing to him were asking him who's going to win the horse race. We're speaking of things prophetically for financial gain and personal greed. And he would, he began to notice after these sessions with people that were asking him that, that he was feeling nauseous, he was feeling uneasy, and he would get headaches. And I kind of bore that in mind. You know, I don't see 
I mean, this guy was a psychic in the day when, you know, people were ready to yell witchcraft at everything, and he was accepted. That should say something about his demeanor and his standing. But with that being said, I kind of gleaned from that not to basically, I just said, hey, if this is real, and if I'm really able to access these things and envision the eights, eight hours, eight days, I haven't got to the years part yet, but I know the eight hours and eight days I've been able to pass some vision using this method is that I have not done it to read lotto numbers or for anything personal gain. And the people that know this about me that I surround myself with are not those that would ever ask such things. So I just wanted to say, you know, I personally found that little bit of wisdom uh, from a gentleman I never had the honor of meeting and learned late of, just like Nikola Tesla, uh, I, you know, I, I was able to glean that, and it, it appears to be immaculately correct. And that's pretty much what I wanted to share on the Edgar Casey topic. Okay, and and Mike, tell us. You said you were going to share about you too, though. So well, that was. Well, my name is Micah. Um, I I had what I think only because I've sequestered myself thinking I was delusional, thinking I was, you know, basically mistaken my remote viewing powers and what I know now to be the beginning stages of telekinesis, uh, that I thought I was insane, I thought I was delusional, and I kept it wrapped up for close to 40 years. I'm about to turn 50. About two years ago, I got the evidence I needed that gave me a great relief. And to some degree, kind of wished I was insane. It would make everything so much easier than knowing that a lot of these things, especially the stereotype Hollywood has given you, is actually a reality. And I have been a great skeptic most of my life. Even when I was watching myself doing, what I was watching myself seeing, I was scientifically explaining it. Like, um Example, having a dream about finding my interim report card in the front yard and it actually happening the next day. I said, wow, my senses must be really keen that my ear heard it and heard it fall, told my mind, and it showed me in a vision where to find it. You know, wow, it's amazing the human body works that way. Rather than, hey, that was a technically ESP because – that was an extra sense not too many people use and get cognitive results from. So, you know, under that manner, uh, I would explain it away. And to shorten that, I explained a lot of way in my life that since I refer to it as an ascension, but I am certainly no master uh, <laughs> by far. But at, I saw within a seven-minute period back on uh, – November 19, 2019, um, I had an experience that fooled me into believing a place I was remote viewing, that I had lost my soul, that my physical body had died. And this was after it had asked me multiple questions about personal things in my life. I answered with emotion of yes or no, not words. And then it made revealed to me that I was dead. You have transcended. And it gave me a limitless amount of possibilities even to get vengeance on those that had wronged me in my life. And I chose forgiveness instead. And I guess it paid off because 
The second part was a lie to get purified answers to see if you were telling the truth because I fully believed I was dead for four minutes of my life. And I had died before, technically. Um, I was killed by lightning uh, back in 2001 when I was working as an innocent lifeguard. Um, you know, I was resuscitated and everything, but I have no memory or out of body. But with this, this was something different. Um, and when I opened my eyes, I, I experienced what gave me a lot of empathy and insight to what a lot of people talk about when they feel they go to the other side. I don't disagree with what they say happened to them with their situation, but everything I analyzed being a skeptic, going inside myself, told me two facts. There is something more in touch with us than any one person can ever perceive in a human mind. And secondly, I just got to say it in layman's term, wow, the little kid in me does kind of go, wow, this stuff is really cool and it's real. <laughs> you read a lot of books about this <laughs> and enjoyed them. Um, but as you can tell, I could go quite on and on. I don't want to overtake anything. I know you have limited time, and I really want to thank you for the time you've given me. And if you have any questions, more than happy to answer, and I've been offering up at a point of comfort between anyone who feels they would like some evidence of what I make claim of uh, under the right settings. I have no problem consenting to anything because there's some things I would like to do first before I say, and I'll just leave it on this note. A lot of people have seen images that will take them years to formulate the words to describe without blowing someone's mind up. I, and that day, I saw something I've been able to describe pieces of, and it's benefited positively a lot of people around me because, you know, hopefully that's what it was supposed to do, and I'll just leave it at that. And, um, wow. You, do? you have a radio voice, so are you trained in communications? Because you said before blog talk, so apparently you had your own show, or you knew you've been calling in on blog talk? Because you have the gift of well, radio. thank you, and that's because I dare say radio was my babysitter and prevented me from lots of discipline. I was a manic insomniac, even as a child. I was from a very stern house, so randomly I'd get tired of my room, get up, and get disciplined for plundering around and not going to sleep. So around 78, 79, I got a little red AM transistor radio for Christmas. It fit perfectly under my pillow, didn't need a bulky antenna. And boom, that night and not long after that, I was listening to places all over the world. Um, and usually from 9 to 4 or 5 a.m. or sometimes all night, I would listen to radio and I got and developed a love for it. One of to pursue it, made a few attempts, but in the Myrtle Beach area, let's just say the prima donna intern stuff kind of turned me off. So I figured I'd just hold out till a day that, hey, Blog Talk kind of woke me up back in 2009. I did a few shows. I won't plug, but um, and I had a couple of awesome interviews. Uh, I was able to get with some select people, some things I wanted to uh, – 
to document while they were still alive. I got the very last interview with a gentleman a lot of people don't know, but they know of because, hey, there was a lot of Dukes of Hazards fans. Um, and yeah, I got I became close friends with the gentleman that they based the entire TV show on his life and his family and basically Monroe, North Carolina. But the reason I bring him up is because our relationship was about the paranormal and cryptozoology. That's how we made contact. I, and his name is Jerry Elijah Rushing. And uh, he told me a lot of paranormal tales just about the North Carolina area. And um, it was his love for it that, you know, kind of refueled me back into it to give it a second go over, so to speak. I'd kind of, uh, I dare say, been on the opposite side of the fence <laughs> for quite a while. But, um Let's just say I fell back on the right side, and I'm not climbing back up it, but I'll just leave it at that. But as for training, no, it's honestly just a deep love for it, and uh, also uh, verbally, uh, you know, I, I do have a southern accent. It's not near as much as it would have been were I not, um, you know, uh, basically verbal with most duties that I've had through my life, service industry, ocean rescue, um, you know, public relations, things like that. But it's uh, also something that I guess as you get older, your words come and flow more smoother and you can trust yourself to say something before you think it sometimes. Well, on today, I would like to keep it, you know, of the heart and unconditional love, but I always go back because of my death and dying, and Richard, too. It's sort of what brought us together. We were working together uh, on putting together shows and books, and we didn't know where it was going to go, so we're still working Mm -hmm. on it. But you're welcome to join us uh, every Sunday, if you'd like. Or do you have another topic or something you could handle out of Myrtle Beach? Because I would love to have a contact. I don't, Um. so... Well, I actually, for this area, not not specifically the Myrtle Beach area, but the older areas, um, I'm very well versed from 1526 on up and even farther back being, uh, uh, how do you say, I I don't want to say this trying to show off. Okay, I'm just going to show off. The little kid in me is doing it. I'm friends with the chief of the Waccamaw tribe. He's cool. <laughs> no, honestly, Chief uh, Chief Hatcher, I reached out to him years ago when I located a a sad site, which was after we had the thousand-year flood event, it revealed a massive burial area of the Waccamaw tribe. And I was able to identify very uh, easily because of my years of, of looking at pottery, that the pottery was burial pottery with a PD stamp, so they were burial urns. When I reached out to make him aware of it, um, lo and behold, an awesome friendship developed. I was just doing it because, you know, I, I felt it was the right thing to do. Um, and he he has always greatly appreciated it. And since that time, I actually keep my eye out because I explore a lot of the swamps of the area as a personal pastime. Um, and I uh, I look for the Native American bent tree trail markers. And something I one day will – I've already got some evidence. i just got to compile everything to get everybody past reasonable doubt. <laughs> uh, but – I've noticed with Native American bent tree trail markers that I find in excess of 250 or older years that within a proximity, 
there's what I, I, I dare say, there's spiritually bent trees. It's almost like they were spiritually manipulated over time to point to, and they all point to the bent tree trail markers. I've got some videos that I've shown where one points to another uh, and things like that. But, again, that's just something ongoing and also um, something that I want to run through a lot of the local tribes just to make sure, especially the locations, that, you know, um, those are remaining very private. That's not public knowledge. I mean, um, they're places without proper consent I would never go again because knowing how sacred they are. But there's a lot of them in people's front yards. Of, Do they have uh, in the mounds? local area mounds? There were mounds. They were confused for burial mounds along the coast, but uh -huh. those, um, but they weren't what it was. And it makes more sense. They were pitch mounds for fat lighter stumps, so they could they would build a fire on top of a mound and they would funnel the resin when it got hot to waterproof canoes, things of that nature. Well, when so I was, they would, I was a kid, I just mm -hmm. want to share this for a moment. When I was a kid, we had Indian mounds around, and they were small ones, but they were big enough to take, like I had a flat backyard, so I was jealous because my friends two doors down or acreages down, back in, mm -hmm. in West Monroe, they'd put in brick homes, but they'd leave all the trees and this was mm -hmm. Mr. Haynes, B.B. Haynes that built this one. But they had a big hill, and they wouldn't let us play on it because the they said it was an Indian mound. And so we would – and we would occasionally find an Indian head in West Monroe just from them building mm -hmm. the place and digging them up, I guess. But they said they had to leave the Indian mound. So that's why I was asking you if they had mm -hmm. those. I just picked them, not as the big ones like in – I guess St. Louis, Missouri are the ones that look like snakes or whatever. That's you probably know much more about that than I do. I'm not. I'm into all of that, but I don't know the proper mm -hmm. term to talk about those sightings. In okay. Um, now I, I'm guessing uh, somewhere West Virginia westward would because I didn't catch where you were raised. Louisiana. I'm. Uh, I'm Louisiana. Okay. Oh yeah, gosh. Well, well let me tell you, ma'am, have you ever heard of a gentleman by the name of William T. Block, Jr.? Uh-uh. Ma'am, this gentleman had a love for history like I do, except he had that love for history and articles of the Sabine River, the West Texas, eastern – I mean the western Louisiana, east Texas area, and lots of knowledge so vast that me, a little boy from South Carolina, when I found all of his articles – I learned so much about the Sabine River area from the 1800s. Oh, my gosh, some amazing history there. And I, I could just imagine other areas as well would be that same way. Well, this was the Washita River, but I uh, went through one, Monroe and West Monroe along I-20. I-20 runs over it to get from Monroe to mm -hmm. West Monroe. But uh, okay. then I grew up in Houston. But anyway, folks, we're talking about love one another today, so – I guess we love our history, and our. we've gone into locations since you brought up Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and immediately mm -hmm. I thought Edgar Casey. Now, when I lived in Kentucky, I went to research a town and the Edgar Casey something. Uh, I don't know if he was buried there or what because it, I was sort of spooky. I'm a 
psychic in a precog. So when I got there, mm-hmm. I was by myself, and uh, I just felt spooked. But I, I, I had to go back several times. It was uh, I had to go check out my feelings. But I did go into mm-hmm. a little museum house. So uh, do you know anything about Edgar Casey in Kentucky? No, I was actually quite curious of his association with the Myrtle Beach area, and could that be a possible misassociation with uh, Mayor Baba, who has a spiritual cultural center here in the Myrtle Beach area? I don't know. Edgar Casey's ARE is a membership. It's about eight and a quarter months. But I know that when mm-hmm. I started, they started sending me a lot of stuff. But no, it's something to do with Kentucky. I think he was born there. I could look uh-huh. it up real quick. But I'm in the edgarcasey.org, mm-hmm. not wanting to be. But let's see if I can find mm-hmm. out where he was born. Edgar Casey. Wait, let's see. It says, okay, Wikipedia probably. Let's see what this says. Mm-hmm. Purported clairvoyant healer and psychic. Uh, date. No, it says he died in Virginia Beach where you are. Oh, he was born in Kentucky. Okay, so I went mm-hmm. probably his birth house. Uh, March okay. 18, wow. 1977, Christian County, Kentucky. And you're where uh, – no, you're not in Virginia Beach, Virginia, but Edgar Casey – uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why I thought of you in Myrtle Beach in South Carolina and Edgar Casey. Uh, Richard, um, does that area come up for you with Edgar Casey? Is is this, is it there? Is there something going on with ARE there, Richard? Not that I'm aware of. Paranormal Psychology, hmm. South Carolina, Myrtle Beach. I went there too. I had to go to Myrtle Beach because my daughter lived there. In South Carolina. <laughs> Hopefully you got to see it in the mid-90s and not some of the more recent news-making Myrtle Beach items. Yeah, it was the old Myrtle Beach, the one you're talking about. Yeah, I went awesome. there in 95-6. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was – yeah, that was – oh, yes, that was, uh, that was actually – it's uh, pretty much the end of the heyday. Um, you know, it's it's – Still, you have so many family-oriented areas that you you can, you know, still go to the old dream of Myrtle Beach like a lot of people were raised that are our elders now. But it's, again, you uh, you have your pockets of areas that are just won't give it up. Well, I live in Gulf Breeze, and we have the Pensacola Beach that's very touristy. Then you can go along mm-hmm. the White Sandy Beach here, too, uh, more private beaches people know about. Mm-hmm. And then you have over to Navarre and Fort Walton where all the Air Force military bases are. But uh, Richard's in Valdosta. Richard, what's going on where you are? Anything paranormal, psychic, or touristy beaches in Valdosta? I'm going to look that up. You never looked at Valdosta. <laughs> We're landlocked. We don't have any. Oh, are you? Oh, man. Oh, give it a couple of thousand years. You never know. (laughs) Oh, yeah, probably so. Well, anyway, Mike, it's been a a pleasure uh, hearing from you, you know, and I guess I'm gathering from what you've shared, you've gone through what you would call a psychic rebirth, uh, where you have basically stepped into another sentient form of awareness that actually relates to your five senses in addition to your spiritual self. Mm. And that's that's very unique and very interesting. Um, 
Uh, also, just to be brief, uh, if we could get at this at a later date, I'll try not to tangent. I looked at radio astronomy maps of the time it happened as I have it correlated down to an exact seven minutes that it occurred. And exactly one year and six hours prior to that was a very unique fast radio burst. Still exploring that idea, but it's a very unique one, and I'm correlating it with other, because I always time-stamped and documented every time I viewed. I, I keep records and notes, and I look for math. So I just want to say that real quick. Cool. Well, we're getting down to the end of our show here. But, yeah. uh, I'd like to go looking. back and listen. I have to go back, Micah, and hear it. Thank you, uh, Micah, and yes, you're welcome to come back. Richard, are you saying we're closing out the show now, right, because it's three minutes till the hour and we got mm -hmm. to move on? But what about, what about Micah coming on Wednesday? Is that our metaphysical day? Yes. Since Ken seems sleeping. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. uh, if you want to participate in a panel discussion, it's really uh, – I'm, I'm doing my best to let Richard sort of run the – radio station for me out of Valdosta, mm -hmm. mainly because that's where my other radio manager was for eight years and still is. <laughs> I'm not real sure what that's about, but location, 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 everybody. So, uh, Richard, let me let you sign off while I mute and, and get my dinner at the door. Okay, you talk. All right. Come back Wednesday. Tell him about Wednesday. Yes. Okay. Uh, Michael, we have Wednesday evenings from 5 until 7. Yeah, Eastern Standard Time, seven, and, seven, and it's seven. metaphysical topics, so anything mm -hmm. that falls within metaphysics, which is a wide, humongous category, not only <laughs> historically, but in all kinds of movements and in all kinds of different takes on things and everything of that nature. But yeah, you're Copy. welcome to join us on Wednesday night, it's upcoming, uh, if you'd like. Um, okay, I will, I, you know, if I'm available this Wednesday, I, either or, I'll definitely catch the show. Um, I've just followed the blog talk, and um, definitely, I definitely look forward to it. And what time again? You said between five and seven. Yeah, Eastern time, of course. Same time you're on. Eastern time. Okay. All right. Hey, and um, if you would just, uh, I'll uh, leave some information in the comments on the show, and uh, you know, you can check out some things from there. Sure. Are you welcome to email uh, TJ, which is. Uh, uh, let's see, TJ Morris Agency at gmail.com. T, okay, uh, say that one more time, please. TJ, the initial uh -huh. TJ Morris, M O R R I S, agency. Okay. At gmail.com. Okay, gotcha. TJ Morris. And so forth, and we can, we can put you up on the, on the board, you know? Okay. Hey, yeah, I'll shoot you. I'll, I'll shoot you some uh, information here shortly. And hey, it's been great talking to you. And I'll let you close the show out. And thank you so much for letting me be a part. You're most welcome, and we appreciate it as well. Have a great night. All right. You too, sir. Thank you. Thank you, all you wonderful listeners out there in the wonderful world of Earth. <laughs> we appreciate all our listeners and your time and your energy. Uh, feel free to uh, reach out to TJ if you'd like um, with comments and, and interests and uh, learning more about ACO and that kind of thing. Uh, you can reach her at TJ Morris Agency, TJ, the initials M-O-R-R-I-S, 
agency at gmail.com or you can feel free to contact me at RT Knights, my initials RT, last name Knight, K N I G H T, 35 at gmail.com. We appreciate you participating, listening in, and all the support that you give us. May you all have a, a wonderful and blessed evening. Anyway, TJ sends along the same sentiment to you, I'm sure. Hello. Can you hear me? Is everybody gone? I guess I... Okay, well, love and light, everybody. I guess they left. Uh, yeah, that was interesting. It was my dinner. Uh, fortunately, well, we come from a mixed-colored family, people of color, as you've heard, and here we're black and white and Indian and everything else. So Say we uh, just love people. There you are. Where did you go, yeah. Leprechaun? Because I, I closed things out with Micah, and then, then, you know, I was telling, I was thanking our viewing audience for listening in and supporting us and all that good stuff and how to contact us at our Gmail addresses. And then I went to to get you, and you are, you are missing in action, too. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah. I had to answer the door, but it's only one after on my computer, so they just now cut us off. But, you know, at this hall, they'll hear this, too. So, Richard, thank you so much. You did a good job, and uh, we'll have a different uh, – I guess uh, Micah may or may not show up on our Metaphysical Wednesdays, but you're welcome. Four to six, same time, same station, and uh, whatever we're promoting, which is usually nothing. <laughs> but we like to have topics that people like to hear. Now, oh, Tuesday, I'm going to do psychic readings. So that's just for entertainment, folks. But people love them. Now, that's my biggest crowd ever. So if you want to just uh, listen four to six, it's strictly people calling in, and I do a little tarot reading. And uh, Richard, if you want to do Tuesday with me, that's fine. Tuesday taco or Tuesday tarot, you know, choose. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to be here and start again. We'll see if the universe lets me because. Every time I try to plan something, it never works out. So, uh, something else comes up or a hurricane or a tornado or family ailment or somebody has to run to the hospital. I know how all y'all know about that. But we will get, we're going to get into a lot more metaphysical. we got some really deep stuff to teach. And I know a lot of people want to learn from the old masters because uh, we have so much that we've studied and put together with all the world religions and the occult, metaphysical, Pythagorean teachings and the esoteric world of many of the old people but whether you believe in uh, philosophy of pythagoras or not that that doesn't matter are all the people that went around the world gathering all their information it's up to us now we are the authors of our own life stories so please remember that and god love you and love one another and richard we'll try it then uh, tuesday four to six wednesday four to six and uh, we always do Wednesday and Sundays. So uh, we'll, we'll need to next time we that's may... mountain time, four to six mountain, uh, five to seven Eastern. No, I'm on Central. It's uh, Central, okay, so it yeah. Goes, yeah, it goes Eastern. Folks, what it is is in radio, all of my friends podcasting always count from the Eastern back to California, but all the people in the world count California time forward. 
they go by Pacific. So what it is, uh, for those of us that have Central, it's Eastern, where Richard lives, Valdosta, the East Coast, Myrtle Beach, all of that, California, I mean, Carolinas. Then you come over, I'm in the panhandle of Florida, because people say you're on Eastern automatically, because most of Florida is. And I don't know where the line is, right before you get to Tallahassee, I think, which is the capital up here between me and Richard. So if me and Richard wanted to meet halfway, we'd meet in Tallahassee at the university library there or something. So then, uh, remember that, Richard, that's code, okay, <laughs> for meeting. Then uh, Central, and then you go over to Mountain, which is where Ken is in New Mexico and Arizona. And I don't know where that line is, Richard. We're going to have to look at a map. And then we've got uh, – Pacific, where uh, Susan Wyman Flynn and our psychic network, and uh, Brett Luter, and uh, what is his name? I've got CCC Publishing. Brad Olson was just on, Brad Olson and his Antarctica studies. And we're all uh, teaming up together on uh, this channel with uh, YouTube, Microsoft, uh, Google Learning, and uh, Prime Video, now AT&T. Uh, has ATT and TV. Let me uh, tell you that it's working pretty good, Richard, AT&T here. And I think we did a pretty good show. You didn't hear me fade once, did you? Nope. So the direct line and the brand new phone did it, folks. So I guess we're off and running then. Okay. Well, I'll keep Mediacom because I've got such a good deal. Uh, for Are my we still on the phone. air? Yeah, we're still on the air, and uh, I've got a good deal for my phone, my televisions, and uh, that's about it. Uh, so, uh, But, Richard, I'm going to keep this uh, for my company, and then the nonprofit is out of my pocket. So love and light, everybody. We will uh, go forward with whatever we can create. And, Richard, call me about working on the book, so let's talk Monday, okay, and see how much you've got done for uh, me, Ken, and you and that. You know, maybe two books. All right. We're looking forward to having that ready for you folks, at least uh, as soon as possible, at least by the end of the year. All right. Love and light, everybody. We will talk to you next. Well, I'll talk to you Tuesday. So I'll be the next one. Richard, are you going to show up or you don't know yet? You got to think about it. I don't know yet. Go ahead and Well, hold on. Sorry. You haven't thought about it yet. Okay. All right. Well, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't like to do readings uh, online. Uh, most That's how they make their professional living. And uh, we work for corporations or companies and in order to uh, get paid for our time. And it's not really getting paid for what you know. You're getting paid for your time because basically we all have been given the same amount of heartbeats. And according to the way we keep up with time and hours and minutes, that's all we have, and that's what you barter with, folks, your time and your soul and your spirit. And we barter for what we need for food, clothing, shelter, to stay alive, and even transportation. Most of us, uh, some of us that are bohemian living or gypsy living, as they say, don't mind doing without because it's very material that we don't need, uh, not so much as the Amish and the Mennonites, but somewhere in between. <laughs> And I live on a very minimalistic, uh, I'm on what's called a retired fixed budget, but I don't think my children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren are going to have that luxury 
I think the baby boomers are the last of that past dream or gold watch or parachute. So uh, love and light, and let's create uh, the new future together. So we're all the authors of our own life story. We're working together as helping each other. And believe it or not, I've gotten to know all my neighbors around here helping each other. Now that we can get out, we're actually being more neighborly and having much more fun getting to know each other. So join us and uh, love and light till Tuesday and Wednesday and Sunday. Bye-bye for now. Love put me at the top of the world.